stories have wings and they fly from mountaintop to mountaintop. And in appreciative inquiry, that's what we want to do in a system is give, give good wings to all of those stories of the true, the good, the better, the possible. And that's what unites people to get courageous to build a better future. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. Every week, I'm talking to thought leaders around the world who are knee deep in solving some of the most important problems in our world, and still they think the future is bright for all of us. We need to see what they see. We need to know what they know about getting around obstacles and turning every setback into an opportunity. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles, now the Goodness Exchange. There you're going to find a landscape of possibility, connection with people like our guests today and thousands of others who are living with purpose. They have found what they are uniquely built to contribute and they are using it every day jumping out of bed with a spring in their step, and they have a version of reality out in front of them that keeps them going. So today we're gonna talk to someone who I have admired for years and wanted to talk to. Today we're gonna meet David Cooperator, distinguished university professor at Case Western Reserve University, who holds two chairs and professorships. He is the Char and Chuck Fowler Professor of Business as an agent for world benefit. I wanna repeat that. There's a thing in this world called the professorship of business as an agent of world benefit. This is where we're headed, folks. I see people like David Cooperator. Oh, <laughs> you can hear the geese behind us on the lake. We're going to get to that in a minute, folks. I'm going to own that. And says David with his lovely background. But David Cooperator, he is a world leader in a thought process called Appreciative Inquiry that I have been singing the praises of ever since I discovered it. David is the founder and faculty director of the Fowler Center for Business as an Agent of World Change, which I mentioned. And this has been around for quite some time. And I believe our times are ripe for this way of being in the world and business innovation to take root and rise to the top. David's best known for his original theoretical articulation of this thing called the other AI, at least that's the way I'm hearing it referred to, called appreciative inquiry. And really to put it fundamentally in a simple way, it's a strength inspired way of working in the world. Everything from the way you handle your teenagers based on strengths, as well as the way you handle management and leadership in a big institution, or the way you work with your work teams. So David, welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. I'm so delighted to have you. It's great to see you, Linda. Your energy is amazing. And thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I had there, I could go on and on with David's with David's introduction. He served as an advisor to prominent leaders, including five presidents, Nobel laureates, and his holiness, the Dalai Lama, <laughs> Kofi Annan, Jimmy Carter, the list goes on. So we are so fortunate to have you here with us today to connect this way of thinking to our lives, to ordinary people's lives. And, and so we're going to start out right out as ordinary people, David. We both have interesting backgrounds right now, which are not virtual backgrounds. 
<laughs> you just heard some geese fly by. I'm on the family farm that I grew up on in Illinois, and you? <laughs> well, I'm up in northern Wisconsin. Um, we have a, a family compound here on Spooner Lake. It's way up in northwest Wisconsin. It's just beautiful. I've been coming here all my life, all summer long. And, and we have about 65 Cooper riders and aunts and uncles and cousins and nine cabins. And honestly, it's just been a, you know, just a wonderful place for our children, for me as a child. The sense of family is so important. But one of my applied practices is very large group planning. Like I'll, I'll share some stories where we work with organizations and bring, you know, 500, 1,000 people together for three days to plan the future, the Appreciative Inquiry Summit Method. But anyway, I think that's where I got interested in large groups. We'd sit in groups of 64 people and, you know, deliberate on really <laughs> important things like should we move the swing set two inches closer to the lake or something like that. But yes, this is where I, I just, uh, it's one of my favorite places. And this is my little writing cabin. Mm, I love this. I love that we're both coming to the world from, from these places that are in our hearts and that formed the way our hearts perceive the world and that perceive change and learn to navigate all the different people that are involved in making change positive for everyone. Yeah, it's fantastic. And and I really enjoyed meeting you and, and learning more about this goodness exchange. I think it's really, really powerful and it's so absolutely needed today. There is so much goodness in the world today. So I look forward to our session. Okay, so let me just kind of lay, there is so much to talk about, David. I hope this is one of many conversations that people will find on this podcast going forward. But today we're gonna try and start at the highest level. So people, can dive in and find their own connections to appreciative inquiry and start using it. What I love about <laughs> appreciative inquiry is that every single one of us could start using the fundamentals today on social media. Yeah. I mean, this David comes from an academic world and, and he's meeting with world leaders, but the things he talks about could apply to exactly the way we live our daily lives, our online lives. And certainly somebody I interviewed recently, Mo Gaudot, tells us we must, we must use this other AI to shape the future of the most artificial intelligence going forward. So this is what I love about the way the world works that worked out. I just spoke to Mo Gaudot recently. He was former chief of business for Google X, so certainly someone who knows the future of AI. And then here's you, then here's you showing up on the scene with the way, with a vision of what our culture could look like if we appreciated more. Yeah. I mean, this is, and if we inquired more, I love the two words. Can you give us a ordinary people's definition of appreciative inquiry to start with, David? Yeah, yeah. I think the two words together, good place to start. And, you know, I, I started working with appreciative inquiry in organizations, but you're right. It's being used in families and communities and cities at UN level world summits now and so on. So, you know, I think there's three kind of, um, big ideas or several ideas involved with appreciative inquiry. The first is that as human systems, we become what we ask questions 
questions about what we search for, what we, you know, like if we're in an organization, in a company, and, you know, they're doing a low morale survey to try and whip up the morale, we'd say, wait a second, is that what we really want to study? Maybe we want to study high engagement and times where people are most passionate and alive. And what does that look like? And where is it happening? And so on. So one of the principles of appreciative inquiry is that art of the question, the way we ask questions is incredibly important. And what appreciative inquiry is about is searching for what gives life to living systems when they are most alive and most healthy in their interconnected circles. And in more practical terms, we might call it a strength-based approach. And I remember I had a credible conversation with Peter Drucker shortly before he passed away. You know, Peter was 93 years old at that time. He's, you know, he wrote more on management thinking. He's considered the father of management thought and wrote more on management and leadership than anybody in the world. And, and I said, but, and he wanted to hear all about our work with appreciative inquiry in the United States Navy, um, with Dalai Lama with trucking companies, with communities and cities. And and so his curiosity was amazing. And I couldn't hardly break in. But at one point, and I don't, I won't forget this. I said, but Peter, you've written more on leadership and management than anybody in human history. Can you put it in a nutshell? What's the essence of leadership? And he said, David, it's ageless in its essence. The task of leadership is to create an alignment of strengths in ways that make a system's weaknesses irrelevant. And I wrote it down. The task of leadership is to create this alignment of strengths in ways that make a system's, you know, weaknesses irrelevant. Well, that raises the question then about, you know, okay, where are the tools for the rapid elevation of a system's strengths and capacities? Where are the tools for creating multiplication effects, chemistry effects of strengths, you know, working them together. Where are the tools for bringing those into your culture? And, and, and so one way to think about appreciative inquiry is a whole set of tools for doing just that. And the second kind of pillar of appreciative inquiry is working from a perspective of the power of wholeness in human systems. So as we got started working appreciative inquiry in many organizations, where we'd go and, you know, do 500 interviews into the true, the good, the better, the possible, all the positive exceptions to the rule, then people wanted to come together. And so, you know, most planning and project leadership happens in groups of six to eight. Well, we started doing this work in groups of 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 with United Way of America, for example. And so the second thing, and we can go into this and some of the reasons why, but it's uh, the discovery was the discovery was about the power of wholeness to bring out the best in a human system. So if I was working with a trucking company, we bring the dock workers, the truck drivers, the CEO, the chief financial officer. We bring community members. We bring supply chain partners. We bring customers. The more complete the protein, so to speak, the, the all the the universe of strengths, 
And then something happens to consciousness, almost like when the astronaut saw the planet from a distance for a first time, you could see the miracle of life on this planet. And it brings out the very, very best. And then the third kind of big idea that we can get into a little bit more is what we're learning with design thinking and designers and the way designers think and the appreciative inquiry 4D cycle, the third D is around design. And it's all about coming together to do our planning whether it's a community or, or a, you know, a faith community, a, a business, whatever, but coming away and going beyond dialogue. People are tired of just coming to a community conversation and having a good conversation. And they say, well, so an appreciative inquiry, we take a page from the design thinking world where we come out of these sessions with building the prototypes in a sand mining company, for example, the sand loader operators wanted to do more good in the world. And they said, well, and they, and they said, how are we going to do it? Well, we said not words on a piece of paper, build it. And so they built a $10 sand water filter that could be used in developing countries and clean the water of a family of 10 for you know many years with no moving parts. Well, what we're finding in our planning processes, when you you can see it, you believe it, you can sense it, you can place it in reality. That particular sand water filter is built by the sand loader operators is now working in, and being used in 44 countries. So those three ideas, the, the think trucker, think, think strengths, think not just small, but whole systems, universes of strengths and wholeness somehow brings out the best. And then third is that we need a kind of new democracy, not just dialogue, but design democracy where we build it together. And I've got so many stories on that part of it too. Oh, that is quite possibly the best synopsis that I could have hoped for from you because I did my homework, you know, how I came across your work is I spoke for appreciative inquiry gathering in Burlington, Vermont three years ago, and I was supposed to speak on a Friday night and I never left. I oh, stayed with those people oh, for, oh, yeah, for two days till oh, Sunday night. Oh, yeah. And I've been in contact with yeah. many of them ever since. You can tell by the, the connections that David is mentioning, the practical, the practical way this has been applied in all these different places. It's just right for our times. I don't I think our backs are to the wall. <laughs> I think that we've we've got to look for new communication patterns. And what I like about appreciative inquiry, which I would like you to expand on. So I want everybody to take a pause for just a second. And think about their own working lives. Things get complex in families. So I love your example of how far do we move the swing set over? <laughs> we'll get to that. Let's, but let's think about our work teams. If everybody takes a pause and thinks about the team they work with and how often the impulse is to focus on people's weaknesses, to build systems, huge systems, to protect us from the weaknesses of others. And we never spend very much time on capitalizing on people's strengths. One of the things that I loved that I came across for you is that this is considered a strength revolution in business. So talk to us about this. This is an amazing opportunity. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I do think that we've got kind of an underlying paradigm of change that, that I noticed some years back. And, you know, and you could try this in any, any 
many organizations. And, you know, I'd be working with leaders or managers, didn't matter whether it was healthcare, whether it was IT or production and manufacturing, didn't matter where. And I I noticed that almost every kind of change process that gets started, it's all based on a deficit-based logic, a theory of change. And so, for example, I'd give people a case study on General Motors and and I'd say at lunch, please do a please do an analysis of this case, an organizational analysis. And I wouldn't say how to do the analysis. It was very neutral. Please do an organizational analysis. And 98% of the time, they'd come back with their spokespersons and so on. They have their flip charts. They come back with the same underlying structure to their report out. You know, again, I just asked a neutral question. Please do an organizational analysis. And so what would happen is the spokesperson would come. We had a good discussion at lunch and we went over the case and we read the 10 pages and and at General Motors, here's the biggest problem we found. And I'd say, interesting, I didn't ask for a problem analysis, but here's the biggest problem we find in this case. And the biggest problem we found is that, you know, senior leaders, the bureaucracy has gotten too high and senior leaders are out of touch with the community and their customers and so on. And, and then they flip the flip chart and say, So as a group, we wanted to go deeper and we didn't want to stay at the surface level. We wanted to find the root causes to this problem. And so then they they would articulate, you know, 10 different causes, not enough investment in research and development. The culture has gotten weaker. And I'm saying to myself, interesting, I didn't ask for this sequence. Here's the problem. Here's the root causes. And then they go and say, then we started brainstorming possible ways of dealing with this. If we were in charge or we were the consulting group. And then their last flip chart would say, and here's the intervention. Here's how we would solve the problem. And and it was so clear to me that somewhere along the line in the whole field of leadership and management and change, that we were, in a sense, there, there was like a root metaphor that organizations are problems to be solved. Therefore, if that's our root metaphor, our root image, organizations are endless streams, then what does it mean to be a good manager? It means to solve the biggest problem of the day. What does it mean to be a good consulting firm? It means to diagnose and find the biggest problems in that system. And, and we started, I started saying to myself, wait a second, that's not what organizations are. Yes, organizations and communities have some problems, but that's not what they are. That's not their identity. Organizations aren't problems to be solved. You know, organizations are in some sense miracles of human relationship that come alive with infinite imagination. That's what an organization is. It's it's bringing more than one person into the party to build the relationships. And so we started saying, what if we said organizations aren't problems to be solved? They're universes of strengths because of relationship and connection. They're filled with infinite imagination, infinite potential. Well, once you start saying that and you go into an organization, the question shifts. Instead of saying, what's wrong with this picture? You're starting to say, what gives life to this organization when it's most alive, most effective, and so on? So instead of studying, you could study this in any institution. You could study breakdown between silos and divisions. 
but you could also study moments of improbable partnerships, improbable collaborations at, at a hotel. Instead of just studying customer complaints, you could study customer delivering delight. You know, you could say, what does that look like? Where is that happening? And what we found was that that framing is so important. And the more we start to study the true, the good, the better, the possible, the more the community comes together with imagination. And so, yes, it's a shift from kind of that old machine industrial age model that uh, organizations are like a machine breaking down, ticking down and so on, as opposed to a living system alive with infinite capacity, infinite imagination, infinite potential. (laughs) I'm not going to interrupt you. I got to own something right now because people are seeing me look away. I'm taking notes as fast Ah, as I can. <laughs> so if you look at, see me looking away, I'm not working on my grocery list, that's for sure. This is foundational stuff. If you're on a team, if you're a leader, you know, maybe you're you're part of a big family. I mean, this is so important, this this notion of what you just what you just mentioned, infinite potential. Infinite potential. And it's it's there. We live in this universe of strengths, even if it's not just our strengths. So with a trucking company, I could connect them with Boeing, who had won the Baldridge Award at that point. And we live in this world. And so appreciative inquiry from a change perspective it wants to saturate, wants to saturate any change agenda in a theater of strengths, in a surround sound of strengths, and those capacities are there. And it's it's not about avoiding things. I think there's some real interesting research that is beginning to explain the power of appreciative inquiry in so many different settings. And let me just give a few concrete examples, but then get at, at some of the exciting research. But, you know, so for example, Bob Stiller, when he bought this little company called Green Mountain Coffee Roasters in Vermont years ago, he said, you know, he's, he, he learned about appreciative inquiry. He felt like that would be the way he wants to do planning with 500 people in the room, including the truck drivers and everybody. And and Bob started using appreciative inquiry every year for to bring everybody into the inner circle of strategy, the real strategic work of the company. And it was so exciting. He'd get a standing ovation every year. Um, after three days, he was quiet as he was an introvert and he would just listen to his people and, you know, and the coffee growers. He'd bring them in from around the world. He'd bring them from Costa Rica and Nicaragua. And anyway, 10 years later, there, you know, at, at that time when I started, we started working with the, it was a small company, about 150 million in sales. 10 years later, their market value was over $24 billion. It was one of the growth stories of that decade. And, but more than that, they also almost single handedly created the fair trade movement that, and they won the most ethical company in the world twice in a row that had never happened and so on. Other examples, it was exciting when the Admiral Clark called. He was head of the Navy, the chief naval officer. And he said, do you think we could change the way we do planning in the Navy? Do you think we could have E5 sailors? 
sitting next to three-star admirals, planning the strategic directions and priorities for the operations of the Navy. I said, absolutely. And, you know, I've got film clips of that with like an E-5 sailor saying, gosh, it was amazing when I got the letter, you know, the letter from Admiral Clark said, I need your brains. I need your heart in the inner circle of our strategic planning. And, you know, that's so important because in so many organizations, the studies are showing over and over that 70 to 80 percent of the workforce is disengaged you know they don't have their minds and the hearts and so on other things like outside of the company world it was amazing when Dalai Lama called his office called and he was you know on a trip in Jerusalem and he felt the tensions in the world between religions, you know, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, all these groups killing each other in the name of their God. And, and he said, my gosh, you know, if, if the world's religious leaders could just talk to one another and know what's in each other's hearts, the world would be a better place. You know, we don't talk to one another. And we, I've been on the same platform as the Pope, but we haven't, we don't know what's in each other's hearts. And so someone said, David, or Dalai Lama, we've heard about appreciative inquiry. You should use that um, to bring all the world's religions together in a series of, to create this new kind of dialogue. And I'll tell you, it was humbling. It, here I am a business school professor and the stakes were high. They wanted to do a pilot in, you know, in Washington, D.C. when Dalai Lama was in the United States. And we brought leaders, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, some at such a high level, like between the Orthodox and the, and the Vatican, that hadn't spoken since the 1500s. And so, you know, we brought these groups into the room to start developing a vision of a better world and how we could come together in relationship honoring conversation as opposed to relationship canceling conversation. But anyway, today, let me just say, with it went so well that they said, okay, now the next one, let's do it at the Carter Center um, with Jimmy Carter because of his interest in conflict resolution. And then the next one in the King David Hotel back in Jerusalem. And and today, there are now 9,000 centers in the world doing this appreciative inquiry work to end religious violence in the world and to create cultures of peace and justice across the religions where, where, we, where this appreciative inquiry is being used all over. You can go to see, it's called URI.org, United Religions Initiative.org. It's a remarkable organization. It, I, some people have predicted that the organization itself will win a Nobel Prize someday. Most Nobel Prizes go to an individual, not an organization. But anyway, I guess I'm sharing that these real real stories for a second because my sense of hope about our world goes up every time we have the courage to bring this complete whole system into the room. You know, a trucking company, the dock worker's voice, the truck driver's voice, the customer's voice, the CEO, that whole system. And it's it, there is something about the magic of wholeness that brings out kind of just our ability to listen, our ability to hear, our ability to want to hear the story of the other and so on. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just have to tell you, I, I've just had wave after wave of mm. goosebumps. Mm. If you see me go like this, 
I'm going to own that too. Along with the writing as fast as I can, I'm going to, I'm going to own doing this. This is the, the insight for our times right now. We've never been more in a, in a good, bad position to take advantage of this way of thinking about communication. So just a few things. I'm from Vermont originally. I'm here staying on the family farm and I've been in Vermont for about 30 years and I've watched the Green Mountain trajectory and I, I can concur with what how that looked as an you know as a local. Yeah. The Green, they were a great part of Vermont's community growth and it's yeah, branding. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Okay. I love this notion of deciding what we're going to give our attention to. In my work, when I do a lot of public speaking, I talk about what we give our attention to expands. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. It's the same when we deal with our teenagers coming home after curfew or what we give our attention to in our business cultures, for sure. Yeah. So I gave this a test. And once it, after I discovered you, I used appreciative inquiry as best I could in my own, in the dental practice that my husband and I run with 12 to 17 employees. And I want you to speak to this and then we're going to take a break. But let's get practical about what you just said in our own lives. Here's how I have experienced this and tell us, tell me what the twist on it is. So in our own lives, as soon as I ran into Appreciative Inquiry, I, I organized a meeting of our dental practice. And I said, what do we want more of? We were totally and completely consumed by the tweaks we wish others would make. We, we have a very loving team, amazing professionals who send our patients out just raving. And yet when we were in meeting times or when we were thinking about doing better, even better yet, we focused on the negatives. So I said, okay, let's have a meeting about what do we all want more of? There is this absolute human impulse, David. I could not keep us on what do we want more of? We kept drifting into what do we want less of? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's part of our, you know, there is, I I call it the deficit-based theory of change. And, you know, there's a lot of people who say that people fundamentally resist change and that therefore, if in this, there was a formula for this in our field, therefore, because people resist change, then you need to really lift up the dissatisfaction with the status quo, D, and, and, and diagnosis and so on. And what we're finding is people don't fundamentally resist change. You know, they resist being changed, but they don't fundamentally resist change. In fact, I can remember when my first son, Daniel, was an infant, and I think it was the moment he first pulled himself up in the crib, his very first time that he stood on his feet, and he was just giggling with joy. You know, human beings are hardwired for joy and growth and development and so on. So an appreciative inquiry, you know, we... We start with questions, for example, there's three questions that I'll often start with to help help a system develop its frame. But first one will be something around leading change. You know, all of us are, you know, have been leaders. I like Meg Wheatley's definition of a leader. A leader is anybody who wants to make a difference at this time. It's it, That's you, that's me. So I'd like you to think about your moments of building a better family, a better community. We've all experienced change and we've all experienced high points and low points. 
points, of course. But what I'd like you to think about for this few minutes is the high point moment you've ever had in coming together with others to create some kind of positive change. And uh, and I'll instruct, it's, it's good. You might have had a couple high point moments, but let's choose one to focus on. And so people are sharing those stories with each other, like imagine Dalai Lama and a Hindu priest sharing these stories of helping to build transformation. The second is we often find that organizations quickly jump into, we need to change, 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 change. And what we're finding is there's a better starting point, and I call it the continuity question. In this organization, let's say Vitamix, it's a company that uses appreciative inquiry and makes the green smoothies and so on. And it's the continuity question would be like, Vitamix has to change. Every organization has to change in the future. But no matter how much we change, what are those three greatest most important qualities and strengths that no matter how much we change, you want our company to keep. And so they begin to share stories on that. And then and the groups begin to come to consensus. And what we're finding is as we understand those minimal things that no matter how much and those precious things, no matter how much we change, then the surprising thing is we're more open to surprise and novelty and disruption and so on, because we've got that anchor. And then the third question we often will start with is let's use Vitamix again as an example. You know, I'd like you to cast your mind ahead almost a decade and let's do it this way. You know, um, let's say tonight at Vitamix, we all have a good sleep and um, we don't wake up for 10 years. But during that sleep, a hundred little positive developments and improvements happened and developments and innovations happened small, but they came together. And then several breakthroughs happened. And this company became, it's like a miracle. This company became exactly the company you would be most proud of. Now you get to wake up it's 10 years in the future and you get to see the whole company all over the world you get to see relationships in our culture you get to see the leadership patterns and the successes we've had in our innovation in the marketplace the, you get to see how society respects the vitamix now what i'd like you to do is describe to all of us what's happening in this future that's new that's better and that's change and how do you know it and so you bring groups together to start looking at those kinds of questions, you know, and pretty soon you start seeing, oh, my gosh, the energy in the room, just incredible, just begins to we start saying, oh, my gosh, you know, this is when I got my high point moment and looked at that high point moment, a time I was most alive, most effective, most engaged, most passionate, you know, and they're sharing these stories. There's a comment in Romanian proverb, stories have wings and they fly from mountaintop to mountaintop. And in appreciative inquiry, that's what we want to do in a system is give, give good wings to all of those stories of the true, the good, the better, the possible. And that's what unites people to get courageous to build a better future. <laughs> You've given me wings. This is lovely. My mind is racing with the possibilities of this. And you've given such beautiful examples of why this is so important for our times, because there's a pretty wide swing between Green Mountain Coffee and Vitamix and the, the sand and gravel industry. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you know what? I've been thinking about truth a lot lately Mm -hmm. and how we've gotten into a world where truth is sort of a moving target. And recently I was chatting with a great podcast guest, Anne-Marie Trouder about diversity and inclusion. <laughs> and I told her, I we, one of the greatest early supporters of Ever Widening Circles is a man named Daniel Kish. So Daniel Kish is widely known. He's been seen by about 2 billion, billion people because he's like the considered the real Batman. He has no eyes. He oh, had his wow. eyes removed from a kind of um, infant wow. cancer. Wow. And yet he sees. Yeah. He visited me in Vermont, and yeah. so I spent a weekend with him, and <laughs> he sees. Daniel can ride a bike. Yeah. He he makes a kind of clicking sound that's much like dolphins and bats, mm-hmm. and his brain, the part of his brain that was devoted to sight, oh. was transformed into this mapping sort of, I would like to say, brain technology where he can make a clicking sound, and the sound echoes back and creates a map of the world around him. Wow. And the reason why I bring him up in this conversation and did in Anne's is because I talked to Daniel about race. Mm-hmm. So Daniel doesn't know what blue is, what well, pink is, yeah, what yeah. black is. He yeah. color is not a notion that he understands because he yeah. it's just not anything that he's ever been exposed to. Mm-hmm. And so race for him is the actual idea of race is not a thing. <laughs> now, racism, he can see racism all around him. He can see it in application all around him. But race itself isn't a thing. And sometimes I think about this in the way we work with others. We sort of tell ourselves a story that they're having the same experience we are, but we're not having the same experience. We don't even, this is what I loved about appreciative inquiry. You don't have to have the same experience or be thinking the same way, make forward progress. Talk about how, because this is a big word in our times, talk about how this this move towards really recognizing the strength in diversity and inclusion factors yeah. into appreciative inquiry. Well, let me just use an example from the Dalai Lama case. Before we assembled, this was the first one in Washington, and people are coming from all over the world, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, all the different groups, Hindu. And I can remember the tensions in the room were just huge, just huge. Like, um, I think it was a Greek Orthodox bishop turning to another person, and he said, I don't know about a meeting like this. I don't know about a meeting like this. What would St. Paul say about a meeting like this? And it was something that I learned was that the higher up you go in the religions, the less interaction between the religions, you know? It's a, so that was pretty interesting. So I was so nervous going into the session the next day. I fell asleep because I knew that if this pilot worked, it would have, it, it would grow. And again, I just heard his words. I don't know about a thing. I don't know about a meeting like this. And then the next day we started and we had uh, Dalai Lama spoke for about 20 minutes and then turned it over to me to facilitate. And, and I immediately, um, I had worked on five questions for two weeks. I worked on those five questions and I had pairs and diverse pairs. And so this Greek Orthodox bishop was sitting next to his holiness, Swami Chinananda, a beautiful, you know, 80 year old priest from India, beard and just incredible. But um, they had never, he had never had a conversation like this, you know, between 
his Greek Orthodox Church and the Hindu. And, you know, I started the the room was a buzz with the interviews and I probably only needed one question. But but then I was going to I I was thinking, how do I have everybody introduce themselves? And, and I thought, no, I'm not going to have them introduce themselves. I'll have their partners interview in, introduce them, and, you know, because everybody has their own tape. And, and you know, this would be a building the relationships. Well, anyway, the first person I called on was um, the Greek Orthodox Bishop, and he stood up and he was still nervous, you know, you know, he said, I don't know, he said, I don't know. And then, and then he broke into this huge smile with tears and he said, I love this man. I love this man. This man has a good heart. And later I wrote a paper called The Surprise of Friendship because what these what these leaders across the religions needed, they didn't need to come together to solve the earth's problems and to eradicate poverty. What they needed was a way to have center to center union with the deepest and best in their own wisdom traditions and life experiences. So yes, you're absolutely right. And, and the only way in this diverse context, to, I mean, the only way to is to hear the other story. So my first question that I worked on a lot for that one was something around life purpose, because I, again, human systems become what they study. So I thought life purpose would be an important thing to get off. I could have asked questions about, you know, draw a, a picture of the greatest interfaith conflicts, the most horrendous religious wars, the most, you know, I could have done that. Or I could have chickened out and just asked a little icebreaker, like tell a story of your first kitten or pet dog. No, these people are very serious. And, and uh, you know, so with appreciative inquiry, it's substantive. And I really wanted us to learn about this. So the first question was, obviously, for all of us, one of our core tasks in life is to discover our life purpose and to live it to the very best of our ability. I'd like you to think back along your life when clarity of life purpose began to emerge for you. It might have been a mystical experience. It might have been a mentor. It might have been a poet powerful experience in your community, a trauma, whatever. But I'd like you to share when clarity of life purpose began to happen for you. So you can imagine this interfaith group sharing that. And then this follow-up question was, now with that story told, what do you sense you're supposed to do with the rest of your life? If that was the only question I had asked, um, that would have been enough for that diverse group to come together and begin to make center-to-center contact and union. You know what that means? Goosebumps. <laughs> it feels like doors and windows are opening in my mind. And with every story you tell, those openings get larger and larger. Uh, I'm not sure on this recording if you saw that, but did you just see something almost? I'm sitting under a bunch of walnut trees. Maybe we can oh. think of a great analogy here. Okay. Above me are is a wonderful canopy of walnut trees, and one just about dingy. <laughs> so if you yeah. see me leap to the side, I'm yeah. determined to stay yeah. on this deck and finish yeah. this conversation. But if you see me leap to the side, or if I get beamed by one and fall over, Okay, I'm sure there's a wonderful analogy to that in the Appreciative Inquiring story. We can leave this part in or take it out, but I'm going to... There I'm is gonna, an analogy there. 
One of my colleagues, he was a former student, a professor now at George Mason University, he wrote a book called Appreciative Intelligence. And the metaphor he uses is the ability to kind of look at the acorn and see the mighty oak. And people have that ability in everywhere they go. You know, some of the greatest entrepreneurs, they can see the seed, um, they can see, but but they can, they can instantly see the mighty oak. And that's an intelligence that can be developed in the way we see our children and so on. So, yeah. All right. Well, all around me are things like this. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of hickory nuts. And this is what would bing me on the head. And I think you're right. There's something about sitting here in the presence of all this potential. Because that's what every one of these is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a potential mighty called the shaggy bark hickory that's that's native to only this part um, of the world. So we're going to leave that little analogy in there and let people sit on this because that is how we can see our children. That is how we can see our coworkers. If we see the mighty oak that we might nurture in others, that makes for a beautiful world. Yeah. There's a woman, I think uh, her name was Adler, maybe Leah Adler. Um, And this story is amazing. You know, she had a child who was, you know, constantly moving on, couldn't concentrate, couldn't, you know, get anything done in school. And he was getting a bad reputation. And she tried to notice when he seemed to come alive. And she noticed that, well, like just as an example of, of the reputation he was getting, he'd maybe be hired to paint the garage of their neighbors and he'd paint about a third of it and then it's done and he'd leave it and never finish. And he was diagnosed with some some things. I don't remember what. But anyway, as the story goes, she started to notice that he loved, you know, um, that she bought him a, a good camera and he started taking pictures and she noticed his time was just, he expanded his time, his concentration, his joy and so on. And then, and she noticed some other things. And so she got him a video camera and, and he, again, the more deep in concentration, he started using. And one day she was out and she came in um, and he had taken some uh, a can of cherries and he was um, boiling it um, on the table and she came in at exactly the moment that it exploded and he was with his camera taking a picture of this explosion well this is the steven spielberg story so this was and steven talks about his mother as the capability to see things in him that no one else could see and that's what appreciative intelligence is about you know i know as a father um, i would travel a lot when our children were small and be in india for three weeks or whatever and i come back and say to myself david wake up your appreciative eye you know your daughter hannah is different than she was three weeks ago or a month ago. There's something new stirring in her soul. There's new qualities. There's new things that she wants her father to see. And so you can deliberately wake up the appreciative eye. Okay. And that's what we want to do in the next segment of our chat. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and I'm going to have you give us some tips on waking up our appreciative eye. Let's take a break. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles and the podcast you're listening to now, the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And I have a question and an answer for you. Have you been hoping the world is actually a lot better than what you see on the news and social media? 
Well, it is. In fact, it's radically better. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. But on December 1st, 2021, all that changes with the launch of the Goodness Exchange, a digital landscape where you will see that the world is full of goodness and progress, and we will introduce you to the people making it that way. Bottom line, someone is solving every vexing problem in the world, large and small. And the Goodness Exchange is where people are coming together to amplify a future that includes all that. No one with good intention and good ideas need feel alone again. Here's what you'll find at the Goodness Exchange. There will be articles about the most amazing things going on in the world that are going uncelebrated. There'll be interviews and events that will send your mind and heart soaring again. And a social media platform dedicated to a culture of kindness, insight, and celebration. A way of um, amplifying a brighter future for us all. And that social media platform is a place where organizations doing good in the world will not have to hold their nose anymore. It can be a trustworthy, respectable place for organizations to host their groups and gatherings and connect with each other. A network of positive networks, if you will. The Goodness Exchange will be a place to find mini courses and masterclasses for personal and professional development, and eventually there'll be a jobs board, and we have a children's website already all teed up. The thread running through it all is that goodness um, and progress is everywhere, and we will help people cultivate what they are uniquely built to contribute to this future for us all. Now, imagine a website with no ads, no games, and no agenda, just a simple and powerful vision of combining our collective strengths to create a future we can all celebrate. The Goodness Exchange will open a new era for us all as individuals, because you're going to find stuff that make your life better instantaneously, and as a collective, because we all want a better future for our children. Who knows what's possible if there is a place on the internet that brought out our best impulses and our collective genius. Join us after December 1st at the Goodness Exchange and start living with less fear, more joy as an individual and as a collective future for humanity. Thanks. Now we're back to the interview. We're back. So David, I know there's an enormous global community built around your work and I want people to connect with it at any level that seems that seems logical for their part in a purpose-driven life. That's what we talk a lot about at the Goodness Exchange is, is the storytelling that you're doing is so, is so much in line with all the content we've created for 10 years. We tell the stories of people who have found what they're uniquely built to contribute yeah. their purpose. And I want people to connect wherever seems the best fit with all kinds of places in the world of the work you're doing. And I know you've got a lot of places for that. So tell us all about the different aspects of books and events and all kinds of things where people can do, what can people do next? Yeah, but let me just say, I think one of the 
the most hopeful and biggest trends in the world that doesn't get talked about enough is the big shift in the whole of the human sciences. So in the year 2000, Marty Seligman, University of Pennsylvania, noticed that in the human sciences, we've been so focused on human deficit. You know, he did an analysis of 44,000 journal articles and 98% of them were on what's wrong with the human being, you know, anger, fear, depression, codependency, and so on. 98%. And he said, well, wait a second. What about a science of human flourishing? What about a science of human goodness? What about a science? And so the whole positive, the positive, I, I call it a revolution in the human sciences. It's the positive psychology movement and now much more than that. But a couple of things from that. I don't know if you've read the work of Barbara Fredrickson, but it's life-changing. And she's one of the greatest scientists in the whole field. And she won the highest monetary prize in the history of psychology for her work. And, and basically, psychology up to that point was studying emotions, but it was emotions like anger and fear. And she said, what good are positive emotions in our lives, like hope, inspiration, joy, and so on. And so, you know, for people who want some practical stuff, she's taken all the laboratory studies on this. And three things happen as we cultivate more hope and inspiration and joy in our lives. The first is we're literally more intelligent. We're, we make better decisions. If we're physicians, we do better work with our patients and so on. We're actually more creative and the second thing is that positive emotions actually un reverses past patterns of negativity. So if we grew up in a home, let's say it was a home with a lot of anger and, you know, maybe alcoholism or whatever. And it was, you know, that stuff gets recorded in our bodies and in our brains and our neuron systems. Well, she's found that, yeah, you can go back into your history and try and change it. Or you can more instantly jump into a life of more um, relationships with more hope, inspiration, and joy. And physiologically, it's shown that it reverses heart disease. It actually begins to unwire the that past wiring. And so, so she calls it the undo button. It's like an undo button in a, in a Word document, undone. It's simply a new theory of change. Surround that change agenda in love and hope and inspiration and joy. And then the third she's finding is resilience and bounce back capacity. For example, in marriages, well, this was important too. Her, her findings show that it's about a three to a five to one ratio of positive to negative emotions in healthy relationships. So it's not like avoiding, it's not like five to zero. You know, you don't avoid the problems and the negative. But it's it, the ratio is important. And I'm saying that because we see this in these appreciative inquiry summits. We see a ratio of about four or five to one in the positive direction. And again, that doesn't mean that we're not looking at some of the big economic problems in Cleveland or whatever. But it means creating a context where we're working from at least a five to one ratio. So for people who want to learn this stuff and listen to their own inner dialogue, like listen to your own inner dialogue. You know, I'm a good person. I'm a bad person. What's that ratio? There's a lot of science behind this. So that whole community, the whole International Positive Psychology Association, the World Congress in Positive Psychology, and we have programs um, like our program and the master's program 
program and positive organization development at Case Western that teaches this. So there's all kinds of resources there that's growing. The other is I, I do want to mention we're at a stage in the next couple of decades where we we need we can't allow the planet to fail, you know. And I'm so convinced that business is it can become, you know, we have a 90 trillion dollar economy and business is really transforming right now. I got my feet wet in this because of my interest in positive institutions. But you know, a few years back, Kofi Annan, when he was Secretary General of the United Nations, saw that business could be one of the most creative forces on the planet. He, and he held a summit and he called on appreciative inquiry. And it was beyond my capabilities. I was so nervous just to even speak at that meeting with a thousand CEOs. But but I, I got an inside view on business as a force for peace and high conflict zones, business as a force for eradicating extreme poverty, business as a force for building this transition to a, a bright green energy system and so on. And I think we're in a stage where people realize that like 75% of all young people um, at UC at USC, for example, want to go into fields related to sustainability and climate action and building a better world. And we're just seeing this. I just finished a book. It's not out yet, but it's called The Business of Building a Better World, The Leadership Revolution That's Changing Everything. And we're finding that by the hundreds and thousands, these businesses surprise and they're they're elegant and they're on the inside they're coming to life like here's one of you know we've got 6,000 stories in our data bank case western in our center the data or the website is called aim to flourish um, 6,000 stories but like here's just an example of one of those like and the imagination that's happening as people are turning towards sustainable development and, and building back better during our pan- pandemic but this is just one little example. This is a company in the Netherlands. It's called OAT. And they went to their designers and they said, can you design us a shoe that is made in renewable energy facilities, that is biodegradable? That And by the way, instead of just doing less harm, like less, 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 which sustainability often means, can you design us something that actually regenerates once it regenerates the natural earth systems? And so I brought boxes of these home. It's called Shoes That Bloom, OAT. You could look it up. And when you're done, you literally go into the backyard and plant it, and the shoe turns into a flower or a tree. It's it's a small example, but the innovation that's beginning to happen all over the world and the realization how a business can be used to bring people together across conflict zones and heal years and years and years of tension. So there's just a tremendous number of stories. And, you know, I want to challenge people to find these stories, you know, visit our site, but then find your own. I think we are in a moment where it's almost like an earthshot moment, you know, John F. Kennedy's moonshot moment. We're, we're going to address these issues, not because they're easy, but because they're hard. 
And I think we are going to see the most innovation we've ever seen in the field of leadership and management around environment and social and more equitable world. And it's happening quickly. I, I was writing down some headlines I've seen over the last three weeks. One headline, um, green investments to reach $50 trillion by 2025. Mark Jacobson at Stanford, a plan, a scientific plan for a world of 100% renewable energy. And he's outlined plans, real engineer plans for 138 countries. So you've got companies like Apple and SD Lauder and Salesforce, they are already 100% renewable energy. You've got places like Toyota, now prototyping net positive cities like at the base it's called deeply woven city at the base of mount fuji where they are creating more you know solar and electric you know renewable energy than they need in the community and they're giving it to others for free they're taking the best in ai technologies and individualizing medicine this is an earth shot moment and and i just you know like there was a recent article in bioscience signed by 16,000 scientists and it's saying we're asking for a transformative change for humanity. Well, what we're doing is trying to lift up the stories of the true, the good, the better, the possible. And, you know, in a sense, we we need to almost surround our planet in like a time-lapse photography. It's so we get discouraged because we don't see all of these small innovations that are happening all over. Just like you can't see a flower opening up in front of your eyes. But with time-lapse photography, you can see see it. You can see that movement and growth. And that's what we need as a planet right now is that kind of time-lapse photography of the kind of thing that you're doing with your exchange and goodness and conspiracy and goodness. There's These stories are out there by the thousands. Well, I think, David, our coming together is quite is so fortuitous for so many reasons. I want to commit today on this podcast to start helping you share those stories. We have thousands of stories that we wrote during the almost a decade with Ever Widening Circles, a website that was specifically designed to share the fact that it is still an amazing world with no politics and no ads. And we we turned along doing that as a team for so long. And then one day we woke up and said, wow, this is even bigger. Yeah. There are so many thought leaders like you, like like Mo Gadwa, who I've mentioned, like Nate Robinson, the scientist who pulled the, the straw out of the sea turtle's nose. We have interviewed so many people that are pointing to the same wave of goodness and progress that we are, that we just can't wait to be a multiplier for all this. So I'm making a commitment today to start helping you share those stories on the landscape. And and you mentioned your relationship with the folks in Vermont and uh, let's continue to nurture that one. Bob Stiller, you know, the CEO of Green Mountain, you know, established a major fund and developed a center for appreciative inquiry at the Stiller School of Business at Champlain College. And they shocked me when they said they wanted to put my name on the center. So, but it, it, but it's a fantastic place. And Vermont has a special spirit. And so people who go there for workshops and sessions or, you know, develop, um, there's master's programs, there's, you know, um, foundations programs and appreciative inquiry, but, um, but it's a fantastic place. And so I, I love going there whenever I can. And I'm so glad you visited with the, with, 
with all of the team there. Lindsay Godwin. Yes, right. yes. I've, I've had tea with Lindsay Godwin a few times. And uh, and again, I, I've known from the first moment I met appreciative the whole concept of, of appreciative inquiry that there would come a time when it could be the next step for many of us to open a new era. And I think we're there. The Goodness Exchange is so behind what you're doing. We're a participatory landscape where exactly ideas like like we're talking about today can flourish. And anybody who hears this conversation and it has piqued their curiosity or sent their heart soaring with possibility, I want you to connect with us all there because we can change the future. We can be kinder than we need to be. We can learn from each other. We can stand on a position of strength. And I guess you've helped me to even expand the definition of the goodness exchange, David. That's fundamentally what we're trying to do is point to all the strength and possibility in the world and elevate that to the top of our online lives. So thank you so much for this conversation. David, um, really quick, do you have some place where people can immediately go and then open up into this world of appreciative inquiry and find their place there? Yeah, well, there's a wonderful resource at that Lindsay got when she's the professor. She heads up the center there, and it's called the Appreciative Inquiry Commons, and it's a website where thousands of people from around the world share all their PowerPoints, share all their articles, share dissertations, share case stories, and so on. So that's a place I would start. It's called the Appreciative Inquiry Commons, and it's um, it's housed at, at Champlain College and is co-created with Case Western Reserve University, and it's a wonderful resource bank. And then there's a, the World Conference on Appreciative Inquiry that happens every couple years, and again, you can contact the people, um, Jessica Blackman, the head of the center, um, and Lindsay Gotwin at, um, at the center at Champlain, the Cooper Ritter Center. Okay. We are going to put all these connections in the show notes below, and we will launch this, this interview out there in the world and see how many people feel like something has landed in front of them that can help them find their, what they're uniquely built to contribute. I think that's, that's the path here. Yeah. And that's part of my joy is at the individual level. I can remember not too long ago, a president of one of the regions of one of the big telecommunications companies came up and after a workshop on this, he said, oh my gosh, you know, this has implications for everything we do as a business. Every single thing that we do from mergers to culture to this or that. And he, and then there was a long pause in his voice. He said, but I only wish I'd heard these ideas when I was raising my children. There's that. And then there's that. What our shared humanity points to is that we are shaping the next generation in our businesses, in our families, in, in, in our in our family uh, compounds, in our family farms. We are shaping the next generation. And I, I feel like with the kind of energy that you and I are pointing to, we're going to bring this thing around. I really feel excited about that. So appreciative inquiry is something I, I would recommend everyone look into. You know, at the Goodness Exchange, we're talking about we're shining a light on stories like I'm going to completely expand into David's network on this, but we're helping people recognize where they are in this journey to find their unique purpose, whether it's the the searching phase, the learning, the community phase where you go to seek others or the building. And I just got to say, I have never been exposed 
to a community as positive and elevating as every single human being I've ever found who's attached to. So if you're in somewhere in that journey, and that's the way we pose it at the Goodness Exchange as a journey, and we're trying to help people at any of those, the fourth phase is building the community of appreciative inquiry. If you're at that level where you really need to feel like you can elevate a group and be part of a rising tide that raises, rises, that brings up all the boats in the harbor, the yeah. Appreciative Inquiry community is that place. So, thank you, David. Remember to check out the the, our, uh, the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. May find a way to, that's a social media platform we've only soft launched at this stage, that we may find a way to introduce some appreciative inquiry, rules of the road kind of culture aspects into as we grow that, that social media network. Uh, check that out. As always, dive into the articles that you find at the top and the podcasts uh, at the Goodness Exchange. And I hope all these connections to goodness and progress that David and I just shared will carry you through your week and you start finding all the joy and wonder that David and I have been talking about. Have a great day. Thank you.